Hi, there it is. Good morning, Maranatha. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. These are like very neat lights. Okay, you don't need those. Uh, it is it is a joy to be with you on this uh, Lord's Day. Let's as we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day that you have given us. I thank you for the the blessing it is to be able to gather freely, even as we look this week uh, to celebrate the um, Independence Day. We we thank you uh, for the gift of being able to worship freely, openly, boldly. Lord, there are lots of ways that we can complain and grumble about uh, the ways things are politically or in our world and even in our country. But Lord, we, we thank you for the ways that you have blessed us in, in countless ways, ways that we see and ways that we don't even see. And we pray for those who lead our nation, uh, lead our state, lead our, 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 our county and our towns. We pray that they would be a, that they would look to you in, uh, for wisdom, uh, for salvation, that, they, that you would even turn the hearts of the kings in your hand for your glory. And that they would know you and walk in your ways and they would lead with justice and righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would participate in, in our towns, in our area, in a, ways that, in a way that demonstrates uh, and exudes the grace that you have bestowed upon us. That we would walk in love, that we would walk in righteousness, that we would walk in hope. Lord, we, we also recognize that there are a whole heap of folks that are, that are away on vacation, and Lord, we pray for them as, they, as we miss their presence here gathered together. Uh, but Lord, we also pray that even as they go, that you would, you would keep them safe, and it would be a sweet time, whether they're visiting other countries, away with family, or, or just uh, a time of a week off and rest. Lord, we pray that it would be a, a, a sweet time away for them. Lord, we pray for those also that are here. We, we thank you for the group that you have gathered here this morning. That you would, and, I, and I ask that your spirit would meet us in profound ways. Lord, I, I, I just have words on a page. But your spirit is living. Your word is living and active. And so that we ask that your spirit would 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 even use me a, a, a jar of clay uh, and that your glory would shine through and would speak to us in ways that would be encouraging and helpful, challenging even. And we pray that even as we look now to your word, that you would guide us and help us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're, we're going to continue our summer series uh, talking about being gathered. What does it mean to, to worship as God's people? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Michael preached from Psalm 27 uh, about the invitation that we get from God in worship. And we gather at the invitation of the Lord himself, who is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. Last week, Pastor Eric preached about the importance and significance of singing in worship and today we come to the a topic of, of corporate prayer. Prayer, both in the Christian's personal and communal life, is, is vital to a vibrant and growing 
walk with Jesus. I've been trying to, for the, over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to come up with like a, a, a great metaphor or analogy for prayer, uh, both personally and corporately. Um, but I haven't been able to top what Martin Luther or what Martin Luther King Jr. said. Uh, there's debate about who said it, but what we can be sure of, Martin said it. Um, it is this. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be a, uh, no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is like breathing. It is the oxygen that gives life and power for the Christian life. Prayer is the way that the truth about God. Uh, we don't need that one yet, dear brother. It's cool. We'll get there. Prayer is the oxygen that gives life to the Christian uh, and, and power to the Christian life. Prayer is the way that the truths about God, his word and his work, moves from our head to our heart. Prayer is one of the primary ways in which we experience the personal relationship with God. Prayer is meant to be this inhaling and exhaling before the Lord. It is, it is partaking in an ongoing dialogue with God. And as we think about how we, you, prayer is structured, some of you guys have think, think about, um, maybe have heard the acronym ACTS. Is that familiar to anyone? And, and it stands for adoration. Our prayers are, 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 are prayers of adoration, of praise before God. We acknowledge his glory and his goodness and his greatness. Also, prayer is a confession where we confess our sins, we confess where we have turned away from God. They're prayers of thanksgiving for his provision, for his grace and his salvation and his mercy and, and the ways that he meets us day in and day out. There's also prayers of supplication where we are petitioning God. We're bringing the needs and requests of our, of our lives and, and, uh, and, and the lives of those around us before him, seeking his mercy and his kindness and his grace, asking for him to intervene. And our service, if you were to think about the ways that we pray in our service, they, they flow according to the, this, this kind of uh, acronym, this adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So prayer is this ongoing dialogue that enfolds all of our lives before God, and then we enter into this ongoing dialogue. Practically speaking, as we think about prayer as a church, it, 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 and, and prayer as a group, as we pray on Sunday mornings, as we gather together or pray, pray in our groups, uh, you know, when we have our corporate prayer gatherings, it's meant to be instructive, it's meant to instruct us in our prayer. I don't know about you, but nobody really sat me down when I was growing up and said, hey, this is how you pray. Maybe some of you did, and that's wonderful. The only time we really prayed at home was really around dinner time. But I actually learned how to pray in the life of the church. As we gather, as I hear older saints that have been walking with Jesus more, as I've heard them pray, I have learned how to pray. Hearing other people pray has taught me how to pray. Corporate prayer also reminds us that the Christian life is 
not meant to be lived on our own strength. It, it instructs us, but it also, in, not just in the ways in which to pray, but we, it instructs us about the significance of prayer. That the Christian life is not just about, you know, being, being good boys and girls for Jesus. The Christian life is, is grounded in the spirit making us alive and helping us to follow. There, there is a spiritual nature that is outside of our power and ability that requires God's power to help and guide us. Some of you have kind of either been in the men's group or some other groups where I've encouraged us to gather in prayer for our corporate prayer gatherings. And as elders, we were talking about it a few, a few months ago, and, and I just had brought them up. And one of the significance of, of prayer for us, it's, it, we, were, we were actually all reading a book um, uh, together and, and talking about prayer as the work of the pastor. And it, it was convicting to, to many of us, thinking that this is an area sometimes that we go, oh yeah, I, I'm busy right now. But prayer as a group, also reminds us, it wasn't just convicting because we need to grow in it, but rather it was convicting because we, we often think that ministry is done in our own strength. And if it's done in our own strength, it's worth, worthless. But rather, prayer reminds us that our strength comes from the Lord. We need to depend upon Him. That apart from Him, Jesus said we can do nothing. And then prayer as God's gathered people is a time where we join our hearts together in his very presence. So it instructs us. It reminds us of our need to stay connected, but it also unites us. And whether it's the prayer of invitation at the beginning of the service or prayers of confession or prayers for gospel partners or the needs of the church and community, whether they're prayers of lament, prayers of rejoicing, even prayers before we come to the Lord's table, it's a time when we can all participate in speaking to the Lord together. It's a time where we can bring the issues of our lives before the Lord and also with one another. And remind each other of the goodness, the power, and the love of God. Now look, I believe every word of what I just said. But I will also tell you that prayer is not something that I gravitate toward. And while I've really sought to grow in this spiritual practice over the past couple of years, I still find it hard to stay focused know what to pray, or even slow down enough to pray. Even in our times as a church, even in a couple minutes of prayer, I am often distracted and disengaged. Am I alone? I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If you struggle in prayer, will you raise your hand? Please look around. You are not alone. It's not to shame you, but rather, but rather that we're in it together. This is a practice that we all can grow in. We all ought to grow in. Because here's the impact, and here you can put that John Onwachuka quote up there. 
This is what John Almacheca says in a little book on prayer that he wrote. He said, prayer is oxygen for the Christian. It sustains us. So it follows that prayer must be a source of life for any community of Christians. It is to the church what, is, what it is to individuals, breathing. Yet many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. This would explain why people have seemed to have so little energy for actually living out the Christian life. Failing to pray is like stopping breathing. To not engage ourselves and our hearts before the Lord in prayer as a, as a church is to say, we got this on our own, God. It is to just go through the ritual and routine. So prayer, if, if prayer is as vital as breathing, then our gathering and our prayer together is not just the thing that we do. It, it doesn't just end the song time to give time for somebody else to come up. It's not, like the, the, it's not just ritual and, and hocus-pocus type stuff. It's not just routine. It's not like the time to run out to go get coffee. Rather, it's a vital part of what we're doing. It actually, like I said, it, it, it helps us to move the things of what we've been singing about, the things that we've been reading, moves it from our head down to our heart. It, it help, welcomes us to experience in a very personal way God in the moment with one another. So church, what would it look like for us to begin breathing deeply again through prayer? What would it be, be like is if we of God people began praying in such a way that increased our delight in the Lord and peace in our heart? It's these questions, this rhythm that I would like us to think about for the next couple of minutes this morning, to think about the purpose and the promise and the power of corporate prayer. And Nina already read it for us, but if you have a Bible open, would you turn to Psalm 131? I know that I often preach very long, so I picked a very short psalm. A song of ascent. David writes, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not too raised, raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is actually a part of a collection, and you can see it in the, the little subscript called A Song of Ascent. And uh, this is the, the song, Songs of Ascent are a group of psalms from 120 to 134, and these were psalms that were sung and recited and prayed by pilgrims going up to worship in Jerusalem. And, and they would go up at, at, typically about at least three times a year in, a, in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 16, where the Lord instructs Israel to go and appear before the Lord, that is at the temple, during the festivals of unleavened bread, which is the Passover, the, the, the festival of weeks or the harvest, which we would now see as Pentecost, and tabernacles or booths. That's when the festival where they remembered God's provision for his people in the wilderness. 
And in each of these festivals, the, the Israelites remembered and celebrate the salvation, grace, and provision of God. These psalms then, as they are singing, as they are journeying their way up to Jerusalem, they were a way to prepare, to lead, and to carry their hearts in worship. So the question for us then is, how does this psalm help us today? How does it help us as we think about praying as God's gathered people? And for one, it shows us the purpose of prayer. Prayer is an opportunity to commune and communicate with God. Again, it's this dynamic back-and-forth dialogue. Our kids, in, the, in MKids, they, we, we use something called the New City Catechism. And the New City Catechism says this about prayer. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. So prayer, then, is a time where we pour out our hearts and focus toward God. The other day, I was driving in Fort Lee, and I was getting on Route 80 near, like, the McDonald's. And I was merging on uh, into the, the far left lane, and as I did, it felt like my car, well, my car hit a pothole, but it felt like a sinkhole. It, it jarred the hole back end. I thought my tire popped. I drove along and was like, is it going to go flat like in a cartoon? You know, like it was like, it was, thankfully everything was fine. We got on the road. But you know what? Driving in New Jersey is not for the faint of heart. There are potholes everywhere. And after a while, you hit enough, what happens to your car? It gets out of alignment. Right? You, you, I remember my mom's car used to, the steering wheel used to, straight was crooked. You know? You need to be realigned. This is what prayer does for us, too. We gather each week with our heart and focus distracted. As we walk up that hill, much like the Israelites walking up to Jerusalem, we have all of last week in our mind and all of next week pressing down. We're distracted. In prayer together, we realign ourselves by adjusting our focus so that it's not just centered on self, but rather on the Lord. We lift up our eyes to remind ourselves about who the Lord is, that he is worthy of our praise, that he is actually at the center of all things. He is the one to which our gaze should be set and trained. We actually read this, uh, Psalm 95, and this is a great uh, psalm. And I'm just going to read from verses 3 through 7. And, and, And David writes this about who the Lord is, why we should train our eyes on him. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. This, the Psalms, and particularly even prayer, realigns our focus on what is true. 
on what is most, most worthy of our focus, the Lord himself. The, the, the Psalms of Ascent, they, they, they remind us about who God is and who we are, that he is God. We are his people. We are the sheep of his, that, are, that are held in his hand. He is our maker. He is the creator. We are the creature. They, like us, need to be remind, themsel- remind themselves because life has a way of wooing us away from remembering that. Whether through comfort or ease or desire. Just think back into the garden where Adam and Eve were. They were, f- they were in the surrounded by blessing upon blessing, fullness upon fullness. Yet, they were pulled away by their desire. They took their eyes off the goodness and the provision of God, and they, their eyes turned inward to their own selfish desire. And they were led astray. And it had profound consequences. So we can be led away by the things that are comfortable, easy, desirable. Other times, we're distracted when we get punched in the face by life. Mike Tyson has a famous line, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Life is hard, and it hits you like a pothole or like a punch in the face, and can jar our attention away from the Lord and put it on ourselves or that we turn in on ourselves. In either case, the thing that we do is we we become self-absorbed. Another way we can say this is that our hearts become proud. Pride makes me the center and the one to whom all is owed. Pride demands its own way. It insists on my needs, my preferences, my way, my timing. Look, proud hearts are sometimes like very boisterous and, and you know, chest thumpers like, like Gordon Gecko or Dwight Schrute or Tony Stark. Other times, pride is more subtle and it roots itself in our hearts. And, and we may try to downplay it, but we broadcast it all the same. Talking about this problem, David Paulson says this of the heart, of the proud, self-centered heart. He goes, I just want a little bit of respect and appreciation. Of course I want the home appliances to work and the car mechanic to be honest. I mean, that's pretty normal. I want approval and understanding to be included. Is, is that too much to ask? I want satisfaction and, and compensation for the, way, for the ways others did me wrong. If others would just own up and treat me right, eh, like, I don't want much. If I only had better health, a little bit more money, a a more meaningful job, nicer clothes, a restful vacation, then I'd be satisfied. I want a measure of success, just a bit of recognition for what I do. I want control. I mean, who doesn't? Comfort, ease, convenience? Why not? I want to feel good. Doesn't God want me to feel good? I want to feel good about myself, to have more confidence, to believe in myself. I want, I want, I want my way. I want to be God. 
And pride in this way makes excuses for itself. It, it talks with false humility sometimes and self-pity. It records instead of forgive, it records wrongs instead of forgives them. It is, it is a heart and focus that is turned in on self. And it isn't hard to see how having a heart that demands its own ways stays contained, it doesn't stay contained, but impacts the way that we live around us. Pride is not just about my heart. It also impacts how I see and how I treat you. One person said it like this. Pride says, I'm right in myself, but proud are haughty eyes. Eyes that are raised high says to others, I'm right compared to you. Pride leads us to be suspicious of others, to see them as inferior or enemies. Even those who seem to hate themselves often treat others judgmentally and cruelly because they're turned in on themselves. Have you ever noticed when you feel inferior to others, your response is often to tear them down, to nitpick, to complain, to go, I wouldn't have done it that way. What were they thinking? Again, even with those with low self-esteem, they deal with pride in, their, in that their eyes are focused solely on themselves, which causes them to perceive others as threats. And as a result, this kind of self-centeredness leads us to take control, or try anyway. We try to control our little world. We work harder to prove that we've earned it all by ourselves. We try to control the behavior of others, whether it be our friends, our coworkers, our children. We try to take control of our health with exercise, with diet, with masks. We try to control our future by gaming out all potential outcomes by looking to our wealth and our creature comforts and trying to take, it, take in what all the, the, the potential obstacles could be so that whatever comes, we're going to be safe. We try to take control by escaping into YouTube and Netflix, a bowl of ice cream, pornography. These are all attempts that we are trying to say, I need to have it my way. I need control. But what is the impact? We could turn verse 1 upside down. My, my heart is lifted up in pride. My eyes are raised and look down upon others. I do occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous. I am trying to take control of my world. And what is the result? It is noise in our soul. It's anxiety. It's worry. It's burnout. It's resentment. It's rage. It's despair. Tightening our boots, blaming others, trying harder won't calm our heart. It actually only inflames them and then crushes them. P 
prayer reorients us. Prayer reminds us about who God is. The grip that we're holding on to, prayer begins to let us relax. It puts God back on the throne in our hearts, in our minds. This is what we do when we gather. And a prayer of adoration, as we call, as we even remember, even as Pastor Michael this morning, as he reminded us to set our gaze on the, that we gather in the heavenly Jerusalem. He, he helped us to see with spiritual eyes what is really happening here. Who surrounds us? The Lord's presence and all the saints that have gone before us. They, we are joining their voices. It pulls us out of ourselves and shows us that God is welcoming us into something far bigger, his own glory, his own beauty, his own goodness, his own work. Our prayer of confession actually, again, helps us to release that grip. It, 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 it confesses to God, I have taken my eyes off you, I've made much of myself, and it welcomes us to fix our eyes back on him. Even in intercession, pastoral prayers or prayers for our partners, when, like even last week when we prayed for the Donalds, what we say is, Lord, the world is a busy, hard, difficult place that it is beyond our control. The things are too marvelous for us, and we put them in your hands. We invite the Lord to guide, to help, to heal to provide. This is what David is doing. He says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Prayer welcomes us to refocus. And as we refocus our attention upon the Lord, can begin to experience the promise of prayer, a calmed and quieted soul. David writes, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David calms and quiets his soul, not by just beating himself, not by staring at the mirror and, go, and, and just strapping Bible verses to it and go, I'm going to believe it today. He doesn't just try harder. Rather, he settles his heart before the Lord and bows before him. In prayer, we recenter our attention, looking to the Lord to calm our hearts, our loud and anxious and noisy and disrupted hearts. I remember when the days when my kids were babies and they were hungry and tired. They let you know it. They would fuss and fight. They're so cute. You know, you know in um, The Incredibles, you know, Jack-Jack? When Jack-Jack gets mad, he flames and turns into lead. And Little kids, when they're hungry, can be like Jack-Jack. They fuss and they fight. They, they, they cry. They swat away pacifiers and toys. and They get red in the face. They tremble with frustration. It was always so funny, right, when they would be so angry. 
and frustrated and perturbed. And then they would get to a bottle or to go to nurse, and they would would just find it, and it would just bring instant release. An instant calm. They wanted nothing but to be nursed. Now cut to that kid after they've finished nursing. They're fed and they're full. They feel the embrace of their mother nursing them. Trevor used to reach his arm around Kirsten's back and rub her back. (laughs) They'd often have that little milk-drunk smirk. They would drift off to sleep. Even, parents, you know, even in really crowded places, they just knock out. This is what David says his soul is like before the Lord. That he's been nourished. That he's been satisfied. That he's been comforted. That he's been reminded that he is cared for. That his father knows what he needs. Look, David lived in the real world. So did the Israelites. Prayer, and particularly this psalm, does not tell us to stick our fingers in our ears and pretend that everything is fine. That's not the calm that's going on. Look, our hearts get disturbed. They get anxious. There are pressures that agitate us from the outside and inside. Doesn't your soul feel like the baby that is frustrated and hungry often? I know mine does. Am I alone? And I would bet that many of us, we've been promised that to know the peace that passes understanding, that we've been, we, we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We know that there is joy in his presence, but so many of us don't experience it on a regular basis. And so sometimes we come in with what I heard this week, called, someone called the Plastic Fantastic. That's their face. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. When it's not when it hurts, when life is punching you in the face. This psalm does not just say, just pray, it all gets better. All goes away. Pretend that that's not going on. No. David invites us in real time to go to the Lord as a a screaming baby that we would be nursed and weaned by him, be calmed. I think that the reason that we often are, we often feel so disturbed and don't really know how to find that joy and that peace is because we try to calm and quiet our hearts like the parent does with a child who is, who is hungry and annoyed. We try to quiet ourselves with a toy or a or pacifier, we try to numb our souls rather than quiet them before the Lord. And these little ways that we distract ourselves or numb ourselves or or try to self-soothe, they work for a couple minutes, but the reality is the anxiety and and the stress comes back with double the force. 
Like Psalms and, 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 and the scriptures are for people that live in the real world. And we get a lesson on how to truly calm our souls here. There's an old hymn. Um, many of you may know it. It's, it's what a friend we have in Jesus. There's a line in it that says this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How does prayer calm and, and, and quiet our soul? It, it, it does so when we remember who the Lord is, what he has done and promises to do. It isn't magic or denial. It isn't just pretending like all the issues uh, have just gone away. Look, your boss is still going to be your boss. The house will still need to be repaired. The relationship that is strained is still going to have issues with it. So what are we doing in prayer? When we are pouring out our heart before God, we are submitting ourselves before him. It is, a, it is a time where we can bring our hurts, our pains, our laments, our longings, our frustration, our fears, our sin, our needs, our wants, our hope, our even doubt before the Lord. This is what David does. Turn with me to Psalm 13. He writes this, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've pre prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David pours out his heart. He sits before the Lord. He, goes, he says, I'm taking all my issues to the one who knows them and can do something about them. He brings all of himself. The good, the bad, the ugly before the Lord, with eyes fixed on him, he surrenders. And he remembers who the Lord is, what the Lord has done for him, and what the Lord has promised to do. Look at verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Has his situation changed? No. But he has said, you have promised steadfast love. And I have experienced it. I know it. And even in that moment of prayer, David is, 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 is reminding himself of the goodness of God, the rescue of God, the salvation of God. And he says, you have dealt bountifully with me before. I can trust you to do it again. That's how his soul is calmed. Going back to our passage and, and, and the psalm that Esther read in Psalm 130. David writes, Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness 
that you may be feared. As we, as we bring our issues to the Lord, we're reminded of the good news of God's grace, that God has met us time and time again. We're reminded in Romans 5, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. If God has demonstrated his love for us, even when we rejected him, how much more can we trust him now? Later on in Romans, Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no one and nothing. And we're reminded early in that chapter 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even helping us in prayer to pray before God, the Spirit intercedes for us even when we don't know what to pray. See, prayer isn't just for the experts. It's for all of God's people to sit in his presence, to inhale and exhale, to consider who he is, to remember what he has done, to hold fast to what he has promised. David is calmed because he remembers the Lord's sovereignty. He remembers the Lord's mercy. He remembers his, his grace and his love. The Lord is the one on the throne and the one who knows and cares for his children. When we settle ourselves under that, we are calmed and quieted. In our last prayer meeting, I read something I, I, I had found from uh, John Wesley. And it says this, and I love it. The end of your praying is not to inform God as though he knew not of your wants already, but rather to inform yourselves, to fix the sense of those wants more deeply in your heart and the sense of your continued dependence on him who, is on, who, who only is able to supply all your wants. It is not so much to move God who is always more ready to give than you to ask as to move yourselves that you may be willing and ready to receive the good things he has prepared for you. In prayer, in gathering our hearts before the Lord, in lifting our eyes from ourselves and our situation to him and his reign and his goodness and his power, to remember the work that he has finished 
our souls become like a weaned child in her mother's arms. We do this, we, we, we take this breath in and breath out, even in our gatherings as we pray. As we, as we sing, you know, Pastor Eric talked about singing is a way to speak the truth and love to one another. As we pray, as we sing the gospel in song, prayer is a way that we move it from our head to our heart. As we hear God's word preached, prayer together is a way to say, I, I want to hold this not just as information in my head, but Lord, would you seal it in my heart, in my life? As we confess our sin, we are acknowledging uh, the ways that we've turned away from the Lord, and in our assurance, we are reminded of his constant and abounding grace toward us. We're reminded that by grace, we have been redeemed. By grace, we have been restored. This is the calm and quiet that comes to us through the spiritual work of prayer, of breathing. Are you... I'm just tired of the plastic fantastic. I'm tired of faking like everything's great all the time. I'm, trying to, I'm tired of faking that there's joy in the Lord when I don't have it. And I often was feeling that way because I, I didn't really understand what prayer was. Prayer invites us to calm our hearts before the Lord. Here's the best part. You don't have to be a professional minister. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a song leader. The Lord welcomes all his children to come and to sit in his presence and to pour your heart out before him. When our eyes have been recentered on the Lord and calmed in his presence, we can live with his bold hope. We're strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment, but also then as we scatter, as we go, with a realistic and a resilient hope. David finishes, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As we gather in prayer corporately, together, the Lord meets us individually. I think it's beautiful that, that David says, Oh, Israel, he, he's saying God is calling you by name. You know, Israel is the name that God gave. It's the name of an individual, Jacob, who is, God changed his name to Israel. But then it's the name of his people. He's called out people. He calls you by name too. He has called us into this family of God together. And so he's saying, Maranatha, hope in the Lord. He says this to you individually. He says, my beloved, hope in the Lord. Oh, my dear son, hope in the Lord. My dear struggling daughter, 
hope in the Lord. He calls us his friend, that we are heirs with Christ, that we are the, his chosen and precious children, that we are his disciples. When our eyes are fixed on him, we remember who he is and what he has done. Our hearts can exhale. And then we are fortified remembering that he is still at work. That he is active, that he cares for us. He knows us and our situations. His hope is rooted in the perfect love of God, the finished work of Jesus, and his ever-present spirit that abides with us. And it's in that hope that we are sent out into the world. Again, not that everything will change, not that everything will go our way, but we have a hope that cannot be taken away. We have a hope that we, we know that God is active, that God is working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't like it, we can see and we can trust that God is at work and that we can hope in him because his word is sure. His kingdom will not be shaken. The world is a daunting place and that, that will trigger and strain us. It will cause our souls to be distracted. However, as we gather, refocus our attention and our gaze. And here's the grace of God. This week, you're going to get distracted again. And you know what? Next week, we come in and refocus our heart. You know what? Somebody said this to me, and I think it's incredible, and I'm going to close in just a moment. In God's perfect wisdom, he, dis he willed that the church would be his purpose to display his glory in all the world. Now, the church is completely flawed in so many ways. Just think about church history. Crusades, abuse scandals, division. That doesn't mean that God's plan is wrong. It means that, that, that we're broken people, but God in his providence says, oh, trust me, I'm still at work here. And in his, in his patience and his timing, he actually, the, the, the work of sanctification is growing us in Christ's likeness. He goes, I'm going to give this a long arc. Even think about your own life. Some of you, by God's grace, turned to Jesus when you were a kid. You're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, and you're still like, man, I'm still struggling. God's like, yeah, I know. I'm patient with you. And I want you to learn this rhythm of grace that welcomes you to come back and back and back again where we are restored and renewed and we're deployed again with hope both for now and forevermore. Our gathering is meant to bring us into such an awareness of the Lord, of his presence, of his grace and our need that we are transformed by him Again, David Powelson writing on this psalm, he, he, he brings up the story of Alice in Wonderland. If you think about Alice in Wonderland, he points out that Alice in the story was either too big or too small. And as a result, she was often <clears throat> disoriented and had issues. 
all because she was the wrong size. And, it, and he says that that's a picture of us when our hearts are not properly oriented. That our hearts become anxious and, and disturbed when we become the wrong size, when we put ourselves in God's shoes. But prayer reorients us <clears throat> to be the right size. For God is big, and then we are held in his hand. When we rest in that, our calm souls are ready to scatter into the world, to humbly yet boldly live as God's children. Amen. Friends, because when we have refocused our eyes, as we've calmed our hearts before the Lord. And with this hope, the Lord invites us to this table. He's not annoyed with us. He's not perturbed. He actually says, come and, come and dine with me. And that's what we get to do even this Sunday as we come to the Lord's table as children who have been calmed by his presence. And that we enter in and, and partake of his body and the blood, representatives of his body that was broken for sin and his blood that was poured out as the, as the sign of the new covenant. So friends, if you have trusted in Christ, this is a welcome meal for you. If you have not trusted in Christ, I would invite you to not, I would ask that you not come because it's a family meal, but rather that you would turn your eyes to Christ, partake in him this morning, hope in him, where you might find new life. We're going to do it a little bit. We're going to come to the table slightly different this morning. Instead of uh, the band's going to, uh, Eric and Esther are going to come up. I'm going to pray in just a moment after I read our passage from 1 Corinthians. And then we'll come up as normal, uh, but... I would invite you to take and, and partake as either you get back to your seat or when you're ready uh, to do so on your own, and then we'll continue singing uh, together. So hear this from uh, 1 Corinthians, and then I will pray. For I received...